going to veer away from Isaiah this morning. We'll get back to it in the lesson. Uh, But we're going to spend some time in the book of Proverbs. So open your Bible to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to talk about friendship as depicted by God. What type of friend does he call us to be? What does God want of us um, in our relationships? You know, friendship is, is really a wonderful thing that everybody wants. Everybody wants some friends. And, and yet at the same time, it is fraught with difficulties. Because we recognize our friends influence us in some way, whether that's for the good or for the bad. They influence us. They change who we are. So uh, the wisdom of Proverbs warns us to choose our friends very carefully. Who will we associate with? Because sometimes they will, uh, the, the ones that we associate will help us. Uh, and sometimes they will burden us and drag us down and lead us to do things that we never would have dreamed that we were doing. It, it was. It, it's interesting to me, when you look at the book of Proverbs, you know, he starts off with kind of a brief introduction in 1 through 7. This is why I wrote. Uh, these are the reasons. And then the first thing he covers in verses 8 through 19 is a warning about the people that you have as your friend. That's the first thing that he emphasizes to to his son. He starts off in verse 8, and he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and an ornament about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious wealth. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us, and we shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in their way with them. Keep your feet far from their path, for their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of the bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It gives away the life of its possessor. So he starts off and he says, you know, in, in verse 10, you're going to be surrounded by bad influences. You're going to be called by bad influences. Sinners are going to entice you. People are going to try to get your attention to lead you away from the truth. So be careful that you do not listen to those people. They, in verse 11, want to harm others. They lie in wait for others' blood. Uh, they want to harm, steal, and kill. <coughs> and yet, what do they claim? They claim that they just want to do this for your benefit. You know, we'll all have one purse. You know, everything will be great. We might mistreat other people, right? But we will never mistreat you. We'll all have one purse. We will all equally benefit uh, from our escapades. And he says, be warned, my son. In verse 16, their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed blood. 
Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there are six things that the Lord hates, just seven that are an abomination to Him. This is one of those that are listed. These people are involving themselves in activities that the Lord hates in verse 16, and it ultimately will lead to their own destruction in verses 17 through 19. Stay away from them. All throughout the book, there will be people vying for our attention. Our parents will be ones who vie for our attention, who call us to listen to wisdom. Like in verses 8 and 9, as we begin reading, you've got the Father, listen to my instruction, hear wisdom, listen to your mother, son, so that you can heed instruction. Parents are, are described as giving true wisdom here. Friends vie for our attention, both good and bad, trying to either help us on our journey or pull us away from the truth. Wisdom, Lady Folly calls out in chapters 1 through 9, urging us to listen to her. And Lady Wisdom also calls out, urging us to heed her words. And also the adulterous woman calls out, vying for our attention, urging us to listen to to her. Lesson number one of wisdom is who do we listen to? Where do we gain our wisdom from? Who has our attention? Who are we listening to? And as you look throughout the book of Proverbs, Proverbs seeks to emphasize what friendship can do for one. And, and the first thing that, that it emphasizes is that friendship can help us to endure difficult days. Turning your Bibles to Proverbs 17, 17. Friendship can help us to endure difficult days. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One of the great things about friendship is no matter what you're going through in your life, it will not cause someone else to say, I'm not sure it's worth it to be your friend, right? If they're a true friend, you know, it, 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 not just a, not just an acquaintance, but a true friend, a true friend doesn't abandon someone when things are not going well. A true friend, verse 17, he loves at all times. There is no time at, at which he's ready to dissolve the friendship because you've just got too much going on in your life. You've just got too much sorrow and pain. You've just got this going on, and, and I don't want to be your friend anymore. No, a true friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for the day of adversity. We turn to those closest to us when we are in need of help and assistance. We turn to our friends. We turn to our, our, our brothers and our sisters in order to help and strengthen us. And this is the way a friend is depicted Euripides, a Greek poet, said this, Friends show their love in times of trouble, not in times of happiness. And this is one of the things that Proverbs emphasize. This is the type of friends that you want in your life. This is the type of friends that we want close to us. 
And continuing this thought in Proverbs 18 and verse 24, and I know some of your translations are going to translate different parts of this verse a little bit differently, the first part of the verse in particular, uh, but I'm reading from the New American Standard 95 update. In, in, verse, in verse 24, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You could retranslate that first part of the verse to say a man of too many friends breaks into pieces. In other words, this the, the first half of the verse describes a man uh, who just has acquaintances. He doesn't have a real friendship with people. You know, he, he's got friends that, that while he's on top, everyone wants to shake his hand. Everyone wants an autograph. Everyone wants their picture taken with him. And yet in times of trial, in times of struggle, those friends are nowhere to be found. He thought he had friends, right? But, but now that he's going through something, now that he needs friends, now that he needs someone near, they're nowhere to be found. But in verse, the end of verse 24, in contrast to that man, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, there are some friends who do what we would only expect of family members. They love us, they care about us, and so they stick closer to us than a brother. They care for us, they love us, they would do anything on our behalf, and therefore they do things that we would never dream of asking them to do. Is this the type of friend that you are towards your friends? Is this the type of friends that we have in our life, true friends that we can count on and rely on, true friends in the Lord? When you look throughout the rest of the Bible, there are some great examples of friendship. <coughs> Turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23. You recognize the First Samuel as mainly being filled with the stories about David, and at this point in his life, you know, we think, man, David, king, you know, killing Goliath. We we always generally focus on all the good things that happened to David. David lived a miserable life, you know, honestly. And in this particular account, as for most of First Samuel. After he is introduced, David is on the run from Saul for his life. And Saul is looking for him in order to kill him. And Saul just can't find him. And I love this, though. Who can find David? Jonathan, Saul's son. And in 1 Samuel 23, in verse 16, this is what it says. Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horash and encouraged him. In God. You see, Jonathan and David have made a covenant with one another. They're friends. They're close acquaintances. They love one another. They care about one another. And so David is at a difficult time in his life. And, and so, so his father, Jonathan's father's trying to kill him, but he gets up and he goes to David. And what does he do? 
Being a good friend, a true friend of David, verse 16, he encourages him in God. That's what he does. You see, his, his love for David is one that causes him to strengthen his hands in the service of the Lord. Is that the type of friend that we are? Do we do this for others, recognizing that sometimes they get discouraged, sometimes that things are going poorly in their life, and so we do what we can in order to strengthen them in God, better their faith, draw them closer to God. This is what Jonathan does for Saul. But excuse me, this is what Jonathan does for David at this time in his life. This is a picture of a true biblical friend. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the final book. This is the final book that we have that Paul writes. He, he is expecting to die. And, and if you've read 2 Timothy, you recognize that. I mean, death is just written all over the book. He is constantly talking about his approaching death how he is getting ready to die, and looking forward to the resurrection. In each and every chapter, I believe he mentions in some way uh, death and the resurrection. And he is talking about to, to Timothy, and talking in verse, verses 15 through, through 18 about some of the situations um, that Timothy knows about. And he says in verse 15, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And you see, we'll say something very similar at the end of the book. You've got people that, that turned away. People didn't, that weren't for him, uh, did not help him in his time of need. But, verse 16, The Lord grant mercy on the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well the services he rendered at Ephesus. Paul talks about this man by the name of Onesiphorus. What type of friend was he? He is depicted in verse 1, as, excuse me, in verse 16, as refreshing Paul and not being ashamed of his chains. That was the same thing Paul called Timothy to do in 1 verse 8. Don't be ashamed of my chains, right? And so Onesiphorus is not. And when he's in Rome, in verse 17, he eagerly searches and finds Paul. You know, he doesn't take the approach of, you know, well, I can, if I can find Paul and I can encourage Paul, that would, that would be great. Uh, you know, and he looks around for the well, you know, I, I can't find Paul. I'll just get him on get him on the old second trip, right? No, he eagerly searches for him because he's going to find him. He's going to encourage him. He's going to refresh him in the Lord. This man goes to great lengths to be an encouragement to Paul. Now, we might say, well, Paul doesn't need encouraging, right? Well, you ever read his epistles? He's constantly saying, pray for me, help me. You know, uh, I, I need encouragement. I need strength to do the things from God to do the things that I need 
done. And Onesiphorus is an example of a friend who goes to great lengths in order to encourage, in order, order to strengthen. Is that what we do for one another? Do we go to great lengths in order to encourage and strengthen and help and build up? Are we people that go out of our way to lift up the hands of our brothers and our sisters and refresh them in God? At the end of the book, Paul will again remind Timothy, everybody left me. Everybody forsook me. It was only the Lord who stood beside me. It is a rare thing to have Christians that are always looking out to encourage and strengthen one another. And, and, and quite frankly, this is what we are often called to do. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. We are to help the weak. We are to encourage those who are afflicted. Uh, we are to be patient with everyone. Hebrews chapter 12. And turn over there. But Hebrews chapter 12. In verses 12 and 13. The Hebrew author says this. Verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak. And the knees that are feeble make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is what we're to be doing for one another. Are we strengthening one another, helping one another, encouraging one another in God? Is that the type of people that we are for each other? This is what we're called to be. This is examples of true friendship throughout the Bible. Are we fulfilling these? Friendship can help us endure the difficult days. It can help us, especially if we're true Christian friends to one another. But friends give truthful advice to one another. A friend doesn't always tell you what you want to hear. But a friend always tells you what you need to hear. And let's look at some of these passages so let's start off in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 in verse 11. Proverbs 22 in verse 11. He who loves purity of heart, whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. This man, in verse 11, is in contrast to the scoffer, 22, in verse 10. He is a man that loves purity of heart, something that Jesus uh, brags on in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 8, in the Beatitude. He is one who speaks graciously, something that we're called to do in the New Testament, uh, in Colossians 4. Uh, he speaks graciously, uh, and this is the one who gives advice to the king, and the king is his friend. The king listens to him because he knows who he is. He's got purity of heart. He, he speaks sincerely. He speaks gently uh, with, one, uh, with the king. Uh, he has no hidden agenda. He's not pushing his, his own agenda on the king. He is just simply trying to direct the king in the pure and the good ways, and these are the type of people that we need to advise our leaders. These are the type of people that our leaders need around them, true friends, seeking to guide them 
in truth. In Proverbs 27, in Proverbs 27, in verse 6, a fascinating proverb. Proverbs 27 and verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. When you think about this verse, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. Nobody likes to be wounded, right? And yet we can rely more on a friend who wounds us than an enemy who is kind to us. You see, well, we can't really trust an enemy. When an enemy does something kind for us, what do you want in return? Right? Why are you doing this? Right? We can't really trust them. But when a friend does something that to us seems harmful and hurtful, we can trust that because we know who they are. You think about the description in verse 6, the kisses of an enemy. Remember Matthew 26 and verse 49. How does Judas betray Jesus? <coughs> With a kiss. <coughs> it's supposed to be a sign of friendship, a sign of greeting, a sign of love, and yet he uses that in order, in order to betray Jesus. Deceitful are the kisses of of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Friendship is hard work. There's no doubt about that. There is a sense to which sometimes we as friends, we might, we might come off a little harsh. You know, we might say things in a little bit of a rough way. And sometimes there might be tension in the relationship that has to be worked out. And yet we don't give up on our friends. Why not? Because we trust them. Maybe they came off a little bit too strong. Maybe they said something that, that didn't exactly sit well. But why did they say what they did? They said what they did. They said what they did because they have our best interest at heart. And we know that about our friends. We trust that our friends love us, that our friends care about us, and that our friends want the best for us. And so maybe sometimes, yes, they hurt our feelings. Sometimes they come across too strong, but we never give up on them because we recognize they have our best interest at heart. A true friend doesn't always tell you what you want to hear. It tells you what you need to hear. Have you ever been in a, a circumstance to where, you know, you, if you've been friends with somebody, and you, you kind of have to tell them, you know, in a very gentle way, something that they need to correct. You know, there's always a fear that saying what you'll say, if you try to say it in the best way, you try to say it in the most gentle way, there's always a fear that they're not going to listen, that it's going to hurt the friendship. And you know, what kind of friends would we be? if we weren't trying to help our friends be better and live according to God's standard. Proverbs 27 and verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel 
is sweet to his friend. You know, back in that day and age, not everyone showered or bathed every day. Uh, they didn't have running water. They did not have hot and cold water uh, like we do. And, and so it was just not necessarily normal. It was, it was a rare luxury in, in order to bathe. You know, most of us, you know, we bathe, we shower every day. And if you don't, I encourage you to do that. Um, but most of us do, right? But, but in this day and age, that was not considered to be something that you did every day. And so oftentimes what you would do in order to cover uh, your body odor is you would put on oil and perfume to try to cover up some of that stuff, uh, your, 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 your stench. Um, and, and this in verse 9 was considered to be a rare luxury. You know, not everybody had a lot of money to spend on these things. Um, and so uh, it's a depiction that oil and perfume, while they are nice, while they are that is, that is an exciting thing to have, it's a helpful thing in this climate, uh, it is a rare luxury. So also in verse 9, is it a rare luxury to sit down with sweet counsel for one's friend? It is a rare luxury to be able to sit down to godly counsel with somebody. Have you ever gotten advice from somebody and you know, after you talked with them said, can't listen to that. Can't, can't listen to them. Not, not going to get advice from them anymore. Oftentimes, at different points in my life, I've gotten some badly, bad worldly advice, even from Christians. And after you listen to it, you say, I can't, I can't do that. That's not right. That's, that's not the direction that God wants me to go in. It is a rare treat to be able to sit down with someone, to be able to confide in them. And for them to say, well, let's, let's see, how would God have us handle this circumstance? How would God have us deal in this situation? That is a rare luxury. Again, is that the type of friends that we have in our life? That we can go to, that we can rely on, that we can depend, that they will have good, sound, biblical advice for us? that will guide us in the way that we need to go. Is that the type of friend that we are? Oftentimes, you know, we get caught up in, in our cute little phrases and our, our, our catch-all ideas, you know, our ideas that we heard on the radio that we liked, that we kind of wanted to pass on, a little word of the wisdom of the day. And we forget to be grounded in God's Word. We forget to make sure that we are directing people according to the way that God would have us to go. There are some, though, who would seek to destroy friendship. Turn in your Bibles over to Proverbs 16 and verse 8. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man 
spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. There are some who try to destroy the godly friendships that we have. And I think that this is clearly Satan at work. Satan doesn't want us uh, to strengthen one another, to, to help one another, to be unified uh, so that we can fight off the attacks of the enemy. And, and the perverse man, he's the one who spreads strife. He tries to cause discord. He tries to separate. He tries to divide. And, and, and he is the one in verse 28 who separates intimate friends. In 17 in verse 9, he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Sometimes, sometimes with our friends, there are certain things that with with them that we just have to overlook, right? Uh, we just have to have to have to decide. You know what? That's not worth the battle. That's not worth the fight. I'm just going to overlook that. Uh, and that's the person who's seeking to be a friend. Maybe. In verse 19, excuse me, in verse 9, uh, the, the friend has wronged you in some way. And, and so you decide, you know what, I'm going to overlook that transgression. I'm not going to hold that against them. Uh, I, I'm just going to overlook it. That's what being a friend sometimes means. But in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, he who repeats a matter separates him. There are some people who just won't let things die, right? They've just got to constantly bring something up, got to constantly stir the pot, got to constantly get people upset, got to constantly be work, working people up. I.e. the media in today's society always got to be dissension, always got uh, to be disunity and disharmony among us. Uh, no, no idea of, of, of helping us work together, uh, making us overcome our differences, helping us to love one another. No time for that. Got to sell news that divides and destroys. And so sometimes we have people in our life who are looking in the same way to divide and to destroy. Are we the type of friend who's willing to overlook when we are wrong. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, why not rather be wronged than wrong another? Are we willing to overlook the wrongs that other people do to us? Or are we those who love to separate, who love to stir up, who love to destroy? Dissension in the book of Proverbs is continually talked about and harshly I generally just like for you to turn to the passages, but I, I, I put these on the board because I, I want you to know what word we're talking about here, okay? So we're going to compare Proverbs 16.28 and 17.9 to Proverbs 2 and verse 17, okay? Now, if you use the King James Version, then we're looking for... The, the word chief friends are very friends, okay? Proverbs 16, 28 and 17, 9, chief friends, very friends, respectively. Proverbs 2 and verse 17, they translate it guide, okay? Now, uh, new, if you're using the New King James, uh, best of friends, 16, 28, 17, 9 is friends, 2, 17 is companion. If you use the ASV, 
Uh, it translates in 1628 and 1790, chief friends, and two in verse 17, it translates friend. If you use the New American Standard, which I do, um, then you've got intimate friends in, in 1628 and 1790, and Proverbs 2.17, they translate it companion. The ESV translates it close friends in 16 and 17, and in Proverbs 2, they translate it uh, companion. The NIV, uh, 1628, close friends, 179, close friends, and 217, they translated partner. Now, if you got another translation than that, you're on your own, okay? Uh, but I'm trying to get you to see what words we're looking at here, okay? In each case, in each case, the word that's translated close friends, very friends, however you're translated, and the word translated partner, like in the NIV here in 217, it's all the same Hebrew word. It's all the same Hebrew word. They just don't translate it the same. Uh, but if you look back in Proverbs 2, if you look back in Proverbs 2, who in Proverbs 2 and verse 17 are we talking about? We're talking about one's wife. You see, Proverbs 16, 28, and 17, 9, isn't just talking about the idea of separating close friends or intimate friends. Gossip and slandering drives a wedge where no wedge should be driven. A wedge that could be driven even between a husband and a wife. You see... Satan works to destroy our godly friendships. He works to destroy our godly marriages. He works to divide. He works to create dissension so that we are not on the same page, so that we're not seeking love, so that we're not seeking unity, so that we're not caring about one another. We're just aggravated with one another. We're wanting to stir things up. We're wanting to destroy one another. That's not the type of friend that we need to be with each other. Well, we are out of time, uh, but let me briefly hit a couple of these things very quickly. First of all, we are called to make wisdom our friend, Proverbs 7 and verse 4. In the context of Proverbs 7, 1 through 5, the call is that wisdom helps us to avoid sin and stay away from sin. We are also reminded that we can be the friend of God. How? Jesus is our friend because he gives up his life willingly. Uh, we can be God's friend. Uh, John 15 and verse 14 if we keep his commandments. John, James 4 and verse 4 if we do not seek friendship with the world. Abraham three times in scripture is called the friend of God. But let me give you one passage that we'll look at in closing. Acts 10 and verse 24, a good example of a friend. Acts 10 deals with Cornelius, his conversion account here. And in Acts 10 in verse 24, it says this. On the following day, Cornelius, he knows he's getting ready, by the way, for Peter to come and speak with him. Verse 24, on the following day, he, that's Peter, Peter entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. You see, a good friend, close friend, 
is one who shows another the way to true life only found in Jesus Christ. Cornelius gives us an example, an illustration of what a true friend is and how a true friend acts on behalf of another. Let's close by prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to have friends that we can count on to encourage and strengthen us that are unified with one another, that hold one another close and in high esteem. Lord, we, we ask we ask that we be people that listen carefully to your word, that are the friends that you have called us to be. Lord, we, we ask that you cleanse us, that you wash us, that you make us whole, that you make us better followers of yours. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.